Well, if we could, uh, for a short while uh, this evening, with the Lord's help, if we could turn back to that portion of Scripture that we read, First uh, Samuel chapter 7. First uh, Samuel chapter 7. And the familiar verse of verse 12. First Samuel 7 at verse 12. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen, and called its name Ebenezer. For he said, Till now the Lord has helped us. Or as you're probably more familiar with it in the authorised version, Hitherto hath the Lord helped us. Hitherto hath the Lord helped us. As you know, last Lord's Day uh, was Christmas Day. And for the evening service, I wasn't preaching here in Bonnie Barvis, but I was preaching over in Glorious Graver. And I always loved the drive over to Graver, uh, but I particularly enjoyed it on Christmas Day. Uh, Not because it was Christmas Day, but because I was driving, as I was driving through South Lochs, I was reminded of the very thing we've been singing about this evening. I was reminded of the Lord's faithfulness throughout this past year. And what reminded me of the Lord's faithfulness was a little standing stone at the side of the road. I don't know if you've ever seen it. Maybe you'll go for a drive over there after hearing about it. But when you drive through Balalan, you take that left turn off the main road uh, towards Glorious Grammar. And after navigating a few of the, the tight bends, you'll pass the, the Lojeras or Inn or what it was known as the Clature Hotel. And then about 50 yards after that, you'll encounter a small single standing stone in the village of Shieldenish. And you know, after being in touch with the Kinloch Historical Society about it, I discovered that unlike uh, the Callanish stones, the single standing stone in Shieldenish, it wasn't erected in the, the Bronze Age, It was actually erected in the 1980s. And it was erected by a man named Donald Murdo Ferguson, who is an elder in the Kinloch Church of Scotland congregation. He'd been working on the new road in the 80s, and he found this stone lying at the side of the road on a ledge. And with the permission of the council, Donald Murdo, he erected the stone, put it at the side of the road, and then he put a sign on it. And the sign read, Ebenezer. Hitherto hath the Lord helped us. Ebenezer, hitherto hath the Lord helped us. But now with over 40 years since that stone was first erected in the village of Shieldenish, Donald Murdo has celebrated his 100th birthday and the sign that was originally on the stone has corroded and fallen off. But amazingly, The single standing stone in Shieldenish still stands, and it stands to this day as a testimony of the Lord's faithfulness. And you know, it was as I passed that Ebenezer stone on the way to Glorious Graver, I was reminded of the Lord's faithfulness throughout this past year. Because like it is with every year in our lives, there are always changes that take place. And yet despite all the changes, all the changes in our circumstances and in our situations, the wonderful thing is the Lord doesn't change. 
He is the one who proclaims to us in his word, I am the Lord, I change not. The Lord doesn't change. And it's for that reason, at the end of another year in life's journey, I want us to come this evening and say with Samuel, Here I raise my Ebenezer, hitherto hath the Lord helped us. Here I raise my Ebenezer, hitherto hath the Lord helped us. And so I just want us to look at this passage this evening under two short headings, repentance and remembrance. Repentance and remembrance. Look first of all at repentance. So look at verse 1 of chapter 7. It says, The men of Kiriath-Jerim came and took up the ark of the Lord and brought it to the house of Abinadab on the hill. And they consecrated his son Eleazar to have charge of the ark of the Lord from the day of day that the ark was lodged at Kiriath-Jerim, a long time past, some twenty years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. The prophet Samuel was born during a tough and turbulent time within the nation of Israel, because since the time of the Exodus with Moses and then entering the promised land with Joshua, We're told, as we read it in the book of Judges, the judges ruled in the land of Israel. They ruled for generations. But with each generation of the judges, there was this continuous cycle. It was a cycle of rebellion and then restoration. Rebellion and restoration. Rebellion and restoration. Where you read in the book of Judges, where each generation of the Israelites, they would rebel against the Lord in idolatry. And the Lord would then punish them by allowing this evil tyrant to to rule over them for a time. And this would cause the Israelites to see sense and then repent of their sin of idolatry. And the Lord would hear their cries of repentance. And the Lord would raise up a judge to, to rescue the Israelites from bondage. And then for a period of time, there would be restoration. There was this constant cycle of, res- of rebellion and restoration. But it was a cycle where the whole sorry saga would go round and round and round. Where there was rebellion, restoration, rebellion, restoration. And you can read it in the the book of Judges. And it was such a sorry saga that you you could describe the whole book of Judges in one verse. The last verse of the book of Judges. There was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right. In his own eyes. That's the verse that describes the whole book of Judges. There was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And you know, it was into that tough and turbulent transition period within the nation of Israel that Samuel was born. And Samuel, as you know, he was a child that was earnestly prayed for before he was even conceived in the womb. For many years, Samuel's mother, Hannah, She prayed that she would have a child. She was unable to have children. But the Lord graciously answered Hannah's prayer and he gifted her a son. But Samuel was not only Hannah's son. Samuel was what you could call a special son. He was a son that was set apart to serve the Lord. And from a young age, Hannah dedicated and devoted Samuel to the service of the Lord, where Samuel served the Lord at the temple in Shiloh. And he served there from a very young age. And you know, one of my favourite passages in the Bible 
is when the Lord called to Samuel. We read about it in First Samuel chapter 3, where Samuel was sleeping. He's probably Kate's age. Sleeping, around eight or nine years old. He's in Shiloh. He's sleeping and the Lord calls to him saying, Samuel, Samuel. But the young Samuel, he doesn't recognize that it's the Lord's voice. And he goes to Eli, the priest, and he thinks that it's Eli who's calling him. But So Samuel gets out of his bed and he goes to Eli, the priest. And it's not until later on that Eli actually realizes that it's the Lord who is speaking to Samuel. And so when the Lord calls to Samuel the third time, saying, Samuel, Samuel, Samuel responds with those precious words that we should all respond to the Lord with. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. But as we said, Samuel was born during a tough and turbulent transition period within the nation of Israel. Because Samuel was given this twofold role. Samuel was the last judge, but he was also the first prophet in Israel, or one of the first prophets in Israel. And we're told that as Samuel grew, the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. And that was important because Samuel's struggles as a servant of the Lord, all his struggles, they started due to the stubbornness and the strong-mindedness of the Israelites. In chapters 4 to 7 of 1 Samuel, we read about these this series of battles between the Israelites and the Philistines. The first battle ended in defeat for the Israelites. 4,000 soldiers were killed in battle. But instead of humbly retreating back into their stronghold, the Israelites, we read, that they responded immediately. They responded to their defeat by retaliating. But they retaliated by returning to battle with none other than the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant, as you know, it was that golden box which sat inside the Holy of Holies. It was symbolically the throne of God. That's where God sat amongst his people. It symbolized the Lord's presence and the Lord's power amongst his people. But the Israelites, they foolishly treated the Ark of the Covenant like this lucky charm. And they took their lucky charm into the battlefield, thinking that if they brought the Ark of the Covenant into the battle with them, the Lord would protect them and the Lord would preserve them from harm. But we read that the opposite happened. Because during the second battle, the battle of retaliation, it wasn't 4,000 who died, it was 30,000 Israelite soldiers who were killed. And more than that, the Ark of the Covenant was captured. Then you have chapter 5 of 1 Samuel, which I always think is a comedy scene. If you imagine what's taking place in chapter 5 of 1 Samuel, the Philistines, they put the Ark of the Covenant right next to Dagon, their false god. So they're standing, the Lord and Dagon, they're standing side by side in the temple. But every morning, when after the lights have been out and everybody's been asleep, every morning they come in to worship Dagon How do they find Dagon? He's face down, prostrate, before the Ark of the Covenant. It's almost as if Dagon is made to worship the Lord. Even the false idols are bowing down before the Lord. But the Philistines, they don't take any notice of it. They put him back onto his perch and his place of prominence. 
And then they go in the following morning and the whole thing has happened again. Dagon is face down on the floor in front of the Lord. And it's a reminder to us that the Lord didn't need the Israelites to defend him. The Lord doesn't need us to defend him. He can do that himself. He can do that all by himself. And we see that in 1 Samuel 5 and then into chapter 6. The Lord brings tumors upon the Israelites. He brings terror upon the Israelites. So much so that after seven months of misery, the Philistines put a return to sender sticker on the Ark of the Covenant and send it away. They send the Ark back. They put it on a cart and put it out towards the Israelites. And so by the time we come to chapter 7, the Ark of the Covenant has been returned sort of, to the Israelites. And it's now, it's now placed in this location, as we see there at the beginning of chapter 7. It's called Kiriath, Jerem. But as we read in the opening verses of the chapter, the Ark of the Covenant has been at Kiriath, Jerem for nearly 20 years. Look at verse 2. It says, From the day that the Ark was lodged at Kiriath, Jerem, a long time passed. Some twenty years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. And you know, it may seem strange to us that such a a hallowed and such a holy item of furniture, such as the Ark of the Covenant, it might seem strange that it was left lying in Kiriath-Jerim, wherever that was, that it was left lying there for twenty years. But the reason we're told this is because it's to highlight to us the spiritual temperature of the Israelites. The spiritual temperature of the Israelites. Because the spiritual temperature was, the reality was, the Israelites had grown cold. The Israelites had become casual with the Lord. They had digressed, they had drifted in their commitment to the Lord. You could even say that the Israelites had fallen away from being focused and fixated upon the Lord. And you know, in many ways, similar to our own nation, our nation today, the nation of Israel was in a spiritual state requiring repentance. The nation was in a spiritual state requiring repentance. And that's why Samuel, the Lord's messenger, the Lord's prophet, he he comes to the people and he says to them, you need to repent. Verse 3, Samuel said to the house of Israel, If you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtaroth from among you and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the people of Israel put away the Baals and the Ashtaroth and they served the Lord only. Samuel called the people to remove their idols, to repent of their idolatry and return to the Lord. Samuel called the people to remove their idols, repent of their idolatry and return to the Lord. And then we read in verse 5, Samuel said, Gather all Israel at Mizpah and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered at Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day. And said there, we have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the people of Israel at Mizpah. So the Israelites, they did as Samuel commanded. 
They removed their idols. They repented of their idolatry. And they returned to the Lord. And so Samuel promised that he would provide sacrifice and supplication for the people. He promised that he would provide sacrifice and supplication for the people. Because we read there in verse 7. When the Philistines heard that the people of Israel had gathered at Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the people of Israel heard it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And the people of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to our to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. So Samuel took a nursing lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. As Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to attack Israel. But the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the, Israel, against the Philistines and threw them into confusion. And they were defeated before Israel. And the men of Israel went out from Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and struck them as far as below beth Car. Samuel promised that he would provide sacrifice and supplication for the people of Israel. And after 20 years, 20 years of doubt and dismay, the Israelites finally defeated the Philistines. But what changed? What changed was that it was only when they removed their idols and they repented of their idolatry and returned to the Lord. It was only then that the Philistines were defeated. The Philistines were defeated only when Israel resisted their pride and relied upon prayer. The Israelites defeated the Philistines only when they removed self and relied upon their saviour. My friend, the Israelites defeated the Philistines when they realised that their only weapon was prayer. The Israelites defeated the Philistines when they realised that their only weapon was prayer. You know, in his commentary, the Old Testament professor, Dr. Dale Ralph Davis, he was up here a number of years ago at the conference. This is what he writes in his commentary about this passage. He says, I think Israel's plight more than touches that of the church and individual believers. The church can often be blind to her true state. In the West, he says, the church is so used to developing new strategies, originating effective gimmicks, or promoting proven programs, that she can deceive herself into thinking that she lives by her own evangelical cleverness. Yet, he says, there is a form of spiritual warfare that is not touched by better and brighter ideas. Therefore, God's people must walk more and more in the way of prayer. God's people must walk more and more in the way of prayer. And you know, I preach this to myself before I bring it in here. God's people must walk more and more in the way of prayer. You know, Dale Ralph Davis is reminding us about the importance of private and public prayer. He's reminding us about the importance of the prayer meeting and the need to gather together for prayer. God's people must walk 
more and more in the way of prayer. And it ought to be a challenge to us that we are reminded that our only weapon is prayer. Yes, we have the word of God, which is the sword of the spirit. But as we're reminded in the pilgrim's progress, that once Christian had on the whole armour of God, the weapon he was to wield was the weapon of all prayer. And as Christian soldiers, we too must wield the weapon of all prayer. We must wield the weapon of all prayer. We must walk more and more in the way of prayer. And even as we come to the end of another year, it should make us thankful for the past, yes, but prayerful for the future. Thankful for the past and prayerful for the future. And so we see repentance. That's the first thing. Then secondly, remembrance. So repentance and remembrance. Now look again at verse 12. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen and called its name Ebenezer. For he said, Hitherto hath the Lord helped us. So the Philistines were subdued and did not again enter the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. So after 20 years of doubt and dismay, the day that the Israelites defeated the Philistines, it was a day to remember. Which is why Samuel, we're told, he took a stone and set it up as this memorial to the Lord. And as we read, Samuel gave the stone a name. He called it Ebenezer, which means stone of helping. Ebenezer, stone of helping. But as you know, memorial stones of remembrance, they're very common. We see memorial stones of remembrance throughout our island, in many of the island communities. Whether they're memorial stones that remember the conflicts of local land raids, we see that in Point, we see it in other places. And we also have memorial stones to remember the world wars. We have one in Bragger and Barvis and in Borv. But these memorial stones of remembrance, they're not only common uh, throughout our island communities, they're also common throughout the Bible because they're biblical. Uh, we read of different people in different places and we read about them building memorial stones to remember the Lord's provision and the Lord's protection. They're memorial stones that remember the Lord's provision and the Lord's protection. We see it with Noah just as he came out of the ark. We see it with Abraham and Isaac, and Jacob. We see it with Moses and Joshua as they cross into the promised land. We see it with Elijah. They all built memorial stones to remember the Lord's provision and the Lord's protection. You know, I always find it amazing what Solomon writes in his sermon, Ecclesiastes. Solomon says, to everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. And he says, there's not only a time to be born and a time to die, but there's also a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. And for Samuel here, this was Samuel's time to gather together a stone. To gather one stone and set it up as this memorial stone of remembrance. And confess before the Lord, here I raised my Ebenezer, hither too hath the Lord helped us. Here I raise my Ebenezer, hitherto 
hath the Lord helped us. You know, at the end of a, a difficult and dark period in Israel's history, Samuel couldn't but acknowledge and appreciate that his only help had come from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And you know, you apply it to ourselves this evening. At the end of another year in life's journey, the Lord is the only one we can truly acknowledge and appreciate. He's the only one we can truly acknowledge and appreciate for his protection and his provision, for his fidelity and his faithfulness, for his goodness and his grace. And like Samuel at the end of another year, we should be saying, here I raise my Ebenezer, hitherto hath the Lord helped us. Hitherto hath the Lord helped us. And undoubtedly there have been exciting encouragements over the past year, new families, new friends joining our congregation. There have also been new beginnings, new builds, new borns in our community. At the end of another year, there are so many wonderful things which we ought to be thankful for. And for such things we ought to, to say with Samuel, Here I raise my Ebenezer, hitherto hath the Lord helped us. But you know, human nature being what it is, these, all these exciting encouragements are very often overlooked and overshadowed by all the dis discouraging disappointments. And like it was in Samuel's day, 2022 has been a tough and turbulent year for many people. A lot has changed, not only in our lives as a congregation and as a community, but also as a country. A lot has changed for us as a country. We've witnessed and watched the war in Ukraine the destruction and the devastation that has taken place there, which has inevitably had an impact and an influence upon the cost of living crisis. We also celebrated the Platinum Jubilee of the reign of Queen Elizabeth II. We celebrated that in June, only to give thanks to God for her life when she passed away in September. And, you know, we had such a stable figure, a stable figure removed. She had been on the throne for for 70 years. She'd been on the throne for 70 years. We witnessed this stable figure always there and she's removed. And yet we, we witness also the complete instability of our government with three prime ministers in one year. We have stability and instability in the same year. But you know, like every passing year in our lives, 2022 has reminded us of the frailty and the fragility of life. We can never escape it. Because whether we have encountered or experienced the tough trial and turbulence of sin, or sickness, or suffering, or stress, or separation, or sorrow, whatever it has been, we have all come to see and be sure, sure of the fact that there's nothing, there is nothing stable strong and secure in this life apart from our Saviour who never changes. He is the same yesterday, today and forever. You know, there's nothing stable, strong and secure in this life apart from our Saviour. You know, that's why Paul, Paul could confess at the end of Romans 8, he could say, I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, 
nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, neither height, nor depth, nor any other creature is able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Do you know, as we go into a new year, you know, we need to keep looking to the Lord and just saying very simply with Samuel, here I raise my Ebenezer, hitherto hath the Lord helped us. Here I raise my Ebenezer, hitherto hath the Lord helped us. And you know the, th- the phrase, and with this I'll close, the phrase, here I raise my Ebenezer, uh, that phrase is taken from a hymn. It's a hymn that was written in 1758 by uh, the Reverend Robert Robinson. He wrote it shortly after his conversion. He was actually converted under the preaching of George Woodfield. And Robert Robertson, he wrote the familiar lyrics. I'm sure you're familiar with the opening verse. Come thou fount of every blessing. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing. Call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious sonnet, sung by flaming tongues above. Praise the mount I'm fixed upon it, mount of thy redeeming love. But because he had come to experience and enjoy the goodness and grace of God, Robert Robertson Robinson wrote in verse 2, Here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help I've come, and I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God. He, to rescue me from danger, interposed his precious blood. And then he goes on in verse 3. O to grace, how great a debtor, daily I'm constrained to be. Let that grace, now like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. It's a wonderful hymn that reminds us that at the end of another year in life's journey, we're to say with Samuel, Here I raise my Ebenezer. Hitherto hath the Lord helped us. Hitherto hath the Lord helped us. Well, may the Lord bless these thoughts to us. Uh, Let us pray. O Lord, our gracious God, we give thanks to thee that at the end of another year, that this is where we are found, that we are found not only on mercy's ground, but that we are found in the house of God, and that we have a desire to be here at all. We know that that desire is all of grace, and all of the goodness of God. And help us then, we pray, that every day we would raise our Ebenezer and say that hitherto hath the Lord helped us. Thou art the one who has been our help, the one who has been our our sure and steadfast rock, the one who has never changed, that despite all the changing circumstances and situations in our lives, that thou art the one who remains for us, our strength, Help us then, we pray, to confess with the psalmist that he only my salvation is, and my strong rock is he. He only is my sure defence. Much moved I shall not be. 
Bless us, Lord, we pray. Bless us as a congregation as we go into a new year, that whatever this year has before us, help us to keep our eyes firmly fixed upon Jesus, to know that he is the fairest among ten thousand. He is the one who is altogether lovely, that he is one who will never faint, who will never fail. He will be faithful. Help us then to trust him, to know that he is doing all things well, that he is working all things together for good, to those who are the called, according to his own purpose. Oh, bless us, Lord, we plead. Keep us, we ask, for we know that we cannot, and how we cannot keep ourselves. Keep our going out and our coming in, for we ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Well, we're going to bring our service to a conclusion this evening. We're going to sing the words of Psalm 121. Psalm 121 in the Scottish Psalter, page 416. Psalm 121. We're going to sing the whole psalm. The Keeper's Psalm. I to the hills will lift mine eyes, from whence doth come my aid. My safety cometh from the Lord, who heaven and earth hath made. Thy foot he'll not let slide, nor will he slumber that thee keeps. Behold, he that keeps Israel, he slumbers not, nor sleeps. The whole psalm to God's praise. <clears throat> Swell left mine eyes from when stars come
The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all, now and forevermore. Amen.